Personally speaking, I'm a little bit surprised initially, and later convinced those interviewees are mostly Z generations who heavily rely on social media. From my own experiences in Africa, China-related story on African social media are quite mixed, or even an active inclined due to some biased reports or even rumor, such as China exports plastic rice to Africa or even human meat to Africa. So the result actually lifts up my eyes that it seems most of them are not affected by those fake news. They are not buying them. Because what exactly happens is that, for example, U.S. or European Union would actually put conditions on African countries before they kind of get into engagements. Many countries get to be discriminated based on the political or social models they use in their home countries, which actually the Chinese do not ask those countries to have. So. By that, it creates an environment where the Chinese can as well engage Africa at an equal basis, a partnership that is based on equality and mutual benefit, as opposed to an engagement that tells countries what to do. So the problem is, is I think what I see is many Chinese that I have talked to that were business related were just too scared to talk、uh, and communicate. I would like to see. Chinese companies who are doing business in Africa just do better at talking to the local communities. You just don't invest into a place, but you also devote major efforts at making friends with the people who、uh, of the local communities that you're investing into. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to the Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyun. Joining our chat on China's influence and role in Africa are Mubarak Mugabe, a Beijing-based Ugandan journalist, fellow of the China Africa Press Center; Li Lanxing, former Africa correspondent of a leading English newspaper in China, and author and commentator Thomas Pawkin II. Welcome to you all. Well, let's first take a look at a new survey、um, conducted by a South Africa-based think tank. The survey shows the majority of young Africans see China as the most influential foreign power on the continent.、And、the study by the Ichkowitz Family Foundation found 76% of over 4,500 young Africans aged 18 to 24 across 15 countries. Named China as a foreign power with a positive influence on their lives, compared with the 72 percent said the same for the U.S. But when the inaugural study was、um, conducted a couple of years ago, U.S. influence stood at 83 percent and 79 percent for China. So China has overtaken the U.S.、Um, as the foreign power regarded by young Africans as having positive influence on the continent. Well, let me start with、um, Mubarak. The survey covered people aged eighteen to twenty-four. So, why do you think it focused on this age group, and how representative is it? Thank you so much, Tayen, for this interesting discussion. I think.、Uh, This survey is very interesting because actually it focused on the age group that has、uh, quite the majority of the African population. Africa has the youngest population, and most of these、uh, people are between the age of eighteen and twenty-five. And also, it has a very big population of those youth 
who will also be between 25 and 35. And I think the survey, based on what exactly is taking many African countries and on looking at the population of, of these countries, it is representative of what exactly is taking place uh, in Africa. Mm, right. And then to Tom, um, what's your first response to such a finding? Are you, you know, surprised or disappointed or, or suspicious? Uh, not surprised. I would imagine many Westerners are suspicious, but uh, they uh, have not lived in China or many of them have not lived or worked in China. So that being said, there are many misunderstandings. The The facts are is the Africans have good relations with the Chinese, they have done a lot of business deals. The Belt and Road in Initiative has been very effective. And China is doing a lot of building in Africa, and that is helping the country. And many young Africans are no longer thinking about political ideologies, but they're thinking about business. They're thinking about their future professional careers. And that being said, they see China as a better business partner simply because the Chinese have put their money where their mouth is, unlike many Western countries who talk a lot about helping Africa, but are only delivering either aid or not even doing business deals. What they're doing is they're just simply treating the Africans more in a subservient manner, whereas the Chinese are treating the Africans in a more equal manner. So I believe that's why the Africans, especially the young, are uh, eager to partner up with many Chinese. Mm. And Lanxing, your observation? Well, can I just go back to the representativeness a little bit? Sure. Oh, well, actually, I just, you know, I dug a little bit on the research methodology of that, of that survey, uh, which says it conducted two rounds of face-to-face -face interviews in 14 African countries, including both Anglophone and Francophone countries. You know, um, the sample size is about 300 interviewees in each market, and the gender ratio is 50 to 50. So basically speaking, it's relatively a very strong enough size and cross-national survey in Africa. But if someone still has doubt about this, actually, you can go and take a look at a larger scale survey done by Afrobarometer, which is more comprehensive and in-depth cross-national survey in Africa. And that one, China also receives relatively more positive feedback in many countries. So actually, you know, this is a cross-check. In terms of my um, response to the founding, actually, personally speaking, I'm a little bit surprised initially and later convinced because, you know, Surprised because, you know, those interviewees are mostly Z generations who heavily rely on social media. From my own experiences in Africa, China related story on African social media are quite mixed or even an active inclined due to some biased reports or even rumor, such as China exports plastic rice to Africa or even human meat to Africa. So the result actually lifts up my eyes that it seems most of them are not affected by those fake news. They're not buying them. And later I realized that this generation grew up in an era that China deeply involved in their everyday lives and the country's development, such as infrastructure or various products. So for them, seeing is believing for these young people. They can see and feel the benefits as change brought by Chinese so it's more convincing to them, I guess. Mm, then what would you say um, has contributed mainly to such a shift? You know, it's just about a couple of years ago that uh, still uh, the United States was the, the biggest influencer. Well, then I think 
here we have to bear in mind that is this is not a U-turn for U.S. You know, it, it still has a very high score, only several points left behind. And in the same research, so many young people still see um, U.S. engagement with Africa is actually in their long-term interests. So it's very unlikely to claim that the U.S. has been abandoned completely. Mm. So what I'm trying to address here um, is that China's positive image is based on the long-term cooperation and partnership with Africa, not a sudden gift. And its engagement might be not as conventional as Western ones, but has been proved to be effective and, most importantly, accepted by local people. So two sides are all responsible players in Africa, but with different manners, obviously. China's development as the ultimate goal to ensure stability and people's livelihood in Africa. And besides, it believes the only way out for African is to produce their own way of development by local wisdom, which is echoed by African countries' um, call as homegrown solutions. I think Mubarak knows that. So they hope to lay the foundation for the future of African countries, while the U.S. hoped to establish a responsible political structure and a workable economic system in Africa by African or Western prescriptions. Well, it's a great vision, right? But has been proved devastating in history for so many times. We need to treat Africa as partners, not students. This is my take. Right. Um, and Lenshin just named some principles China has when it comes to its um, relations with Africa. So, Mubarak, can you tell us some, you know, detailed measures that you deem as positive um, factors contributing to China being regarded as a positive influencer? I think just like the two previous uh, speakers have elaborated well. Uh, what exactly is happening is that U.S. is not lost influence completely in Africa, but I think the center of concentration in approach and participation and engagement with the African continent varies. I think the Chinese participation and engagement with the African continent mostly centers on the issues that affects the you know the daily lives of the young people, and, and it certainly addresses the need, you know, having a youngest population and, and, and of these different countries calls for challenges in terms of unemployment, in terms of skills. And these are the issues that most of the Chinese engagements with the African continent put much focus on. And getting surprised or even getting uh, suspicious of the finding and, and you know it only surprises a person who does not actually know what exactly is happening in africa but any country I, I don't think it had to be china even if it's it was another power that actually puts much emphasis on uh, you know solving unemployment and on addressing skills and also innovative uh, measures that are helping these young people to improve their li livelihood. Of course, that country will, or that power will certainly come up to emerge as most of the, you know, with a positive influence. But also what we should understand here is that the center of concentration of U.S. is mostly into through NGOs and, and also paying much attention to civil rights and political rights, mobilizing the youth to participate in the governance of their countries, which the Chinese actually think 
it is very important, yes, to pay attention to governance, but what is most important is to first focus on improving the livelihood of your household. And this is what exactly is directly affecting uh, the, you know, the, the minds of the Africans and also what is happening and shaping their views on China as a foreign power. Mm, but some Western analysts would uh, attribute China's um, increasing influence to its what they call COVID vaccine diplomacy. Do you believe it's it's fair to to say so, Varik? I think it's 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 not fair because COVID is just two years back, and I think these results are just a representative of what has been growing over time. And remember, the previous research has always put U.S. Uh, into, you know, lead in terms of influencing the African, pop, you know, population and the young people. But I think it's a combination of so many factors, looking at all the projects that are being put in place. Many of them, actually, many of the Westerners and many of the people out there focus on the viability of such infrastructure projects, of whether they are viable, whether they carry some economic you know, viability after completion, but they actually ignore the fact that even during the construction of these projects, during uh, that process, a lot is transferred, skills are transferred, employment, you know, jobs are provided. And all these, when they come together, they positive impact on their lives. And I doubt whether it's a COVID-19 diplomacy is just a component of what exactly is taking place. Let me give you an example. Many things in Africa, like for example, Huawei, let's take an example of Huawei. Huawei provides very cheap phones, for example, mobile phones that actually get African young population who have no capacity to buy, for example, an Apple phone. They can as well get a phone at as cheap as $25, which may not be so much good, but at least it can as well give them you know, access to information and internet, which is unlike with many of the maybe US companies. And, and these are things that when put together, kind of show African young population that there is a positive impact. And also these kind of engagements help them also reach the desired goals. Mm. And to Lenxing, previously you, you mentioned it's not like a U-turn for U.S. influence on the continent. But um, according to this survey, in terms of perceived positive influence, the U.S. has slipped behind the U.K. and the European Union. So you're saying it's there's nothing wrong with it or there is um, nothing that the U.S. has to be concerned about, right? Well, what I'm trying to say is actually we still have to treat U.S. as a great and influential player in Africa in almost every aspect. And they do play some constructive roles in, in some countries, in some fields as well. Um, so uh, what I'm trying to say here is that we shouldn't downplay its role because, you know, for African countries like what Mubarak just said, every player who can contribute to Africans' development should be treated fairly. And also it's the mentality and the philosophy of China as well, because, you know, China always stresses that, well, African countries have the right to choose whoever they want to partner with. This is their freedom. So we should have a very open and fair competition environment for everyone. And I, and I think it's not kind of you know, zero-sum game for African countries. This is very important to give more spaces and freedom to choose to African countries. This is what has been stressed by Chinese government or China side. This is quite significant, I think.
Mm. And Tom, your interpretation here, would you say it's a big concern for the U.S.? I think the main issue with the U.S., it's not even about human rights or anything they're really saying out loud, but it's more about the U.S. likes being number one. They um, are accustomed to having many other countries listen to them, especially from the developing world. They see China as taking over or at least having greater influence on that particular issue. So what happens is they're just looking for excuses. It's sort of like when you get into a debate and you're supposed to argue against somebody and suddenly you discover you're losing the debate. Then you resort to name calling and then you uh, start making outrageous accusations that might not be fully true. And this is what I'm sort of seeing from the Washington, the U.S. side right now, is that they're losing their influence. The empire, the American empire or the U.S. as we used to know it is no longer there. It's becoming more weak. And so a lot of times when you have a strong country turn weaker, they tend to start screaming more and they start to get angry more. And then they start to get on the attack mode because they feel like that's the only way to keep their position. So in this sense, what they're doing to Africa is a continuation of that by talking about that chat diplomacy, claiming that uh, Africans are going to start being required to open up Chinese military bases. As I said, these are mainly accusations that they have no proof or evidence of. They're just using these as scare tactics. And I think the Africans are beginning to see through that right now, and they're starting to realize that because they've had good cooperation from China, that uh, perhaps the, what Washington has been saying before may not be accurate. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If only the U.S. can do what uh, African countries hope, they can compete in a fair um, manner or do what the Africans want to do or help them in a very friendly way. Lian Xing, what do you think has been preventing the U.S. from doing so? I wouldn't say all well, because, like organizations. Well, I think, you know, Africa is just part of their global strategies. So um, it depends on how they perceive Africa in their global vision and as the monopoly or the only superpower in the world. Well, you know, their engagement in Africa is actually to counter the influence of China rather than based on what is needed, as what you have said, by Africans. So this kind of a mentality is, well, you know, definitely would produce some of the um, unrealistic visions and plans on the ground. And previously we have seen so many uh, big words from the big person about the U.S. engagement in Africa for a long time. But, you know, few of them are actually uh, realized on the ground. That's the reason why, you know, they treat Africa as part of their global strategy to counter influence of China. It's not, you know, they are treating Africa as a real a partner, you know, from my own perspective and observation. So two different mentalities produce two different sets of plans and behavior. That's a natural result, I think. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. And African people especially the younger generation, is more um, inclined to the Chinese method, right, Mubarak? I think I will agree with both of them. It's, it's, it's quite a mentality because I don't think 
all the issues that maybe the West may raise as uh, influence, like for example, COVID vaccines. Many other countries have actually provided COVID vaccines to Africa, European Union, uh, US, similar with China. But I think the center of concentration, first of all, the center of concentration of engagement matters a lot. After, you know, US and its allies have always, you know, contributed to Africa's infrastructure development and, you know, security, peace and security, and also health and education. But I think what they lack so much is, is to find out what exactly Africa needed most. What Africa needs most is, you know, improving those infrastructure, improving, you know, its security conditions without necessarily uh, restricting, you know, because what, what exactly happens is that, for example, US uh, or European Union would actually put conditions on African countries before they kind of get into engagements. Many, you know, countries uh, get to be discriminated based on the political or social models they use in their home countries, which actually the Chinese do not ask those countries to have. So, by that, it creates an environment where the Chinese can as well engage Africa at an equal basis, uh, a partnership that is based on equality, you know, and, and mutual benefit as opposed to an engagement that tells countries what to do. And that's actually with time, it will certainly, you know, the rates of influence and also the percentages of people believing that uh, this influence is positive is also going to kind of, you know, reduce from the Western perspectives. But one thing that I want to mention here is that there is a difference, a clear difference in approach, a clear difference in engagement. One focuses so much on how countries should be governed, and another one focuses on engaging Africa as partners and also focusing on business, economic empowerment, and also making sure that the African people also improve their livelihoods. I think that's where the difference is. And of course, the influence, if you change a political system of a country, for example, if you make a country change its political model, the effect will not be as deep or as positive as actually changing the livelihood of people, creating opportunities for employment, creating more innovative channels where the African young people can as well, uh, you know, have opportunities and also create more sustainable opportunities for themselves. So I think that's where most of the African people think that this influence is based on what is directly affecting their lives. What if what the U.S. really wants is not a well-governed country? What it wants is a government that listens to the U.S. order or fulfill the U.S. needs accordingly, would that be a, you know, a good choice for Africans? I think that that's the reason to why most of the African countries have opted to work closely with China much more than actually does with Western countries. And you have seen this, what is happening, whatever countries that are facing political challenges, are, you know, are removed from you know, like, for example, recently, Ethiopia, Mali were removed from, uh, you know, the Agoa framework, which actually doesn't happen to many countries which are under the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm -hmm. These kind of things are seen and, you know, countries have been at war, like, for example, Sudan, South Sudan, but actually they are still receiving the same kind of partnership with uh, with China, regardless of forcing them to tow a line that 
maybe the Chinese may want. I think what the Chinese learned so much is the fact that Africans are different. They have ways of how they want to manage themselves politically, but there are ways how we can as well engage with others. I think that's what the West and the US tend to ignore. They want African countries to emulate their political system and that alone creates confusion and actually escalates British situations in those African countries. I think that's where the core difference is. And this is one of the areas which the West has so much criticized China's engagement with Africa that actually doesn't pay much attention to how these countries are governed and it aids dictatorships in Africa. But calling countries dictatorship is not going to solve the problem. I think helping countries improve their standards, their lives of the people, regardless of which kind of political setup they have, is what makes China's influence more positive than what actually makes the US and the Western countries that put countries on conditions as to whether, you know, that they should actually toss a line of Western democratic principles and values, which actually many countries feel it's unfair and it's kind of new colonialism that we do not actually want to talk. Indeed, different uh, kinds of uh, mindsets. And, and the survey has found the strongest positive sentiment toward China is in Rwanda, Malawi, and Nigeria. So why these three countries? Nation, tell us why. Well, based on my personal experiences, probably I cannot speak for Malawi, which I'm not familiar with, but I actually I can speak some um, about Rwanda and Nigeria, you know, these countries I've been there for so many times. You know, Rwanda is not like what we have perceived as the genocide, you know, those kind of very negative images. Actually, nowadays, Rwanda is called the model of development in Africa. Well, it's, you know, because of its high speed and development rate, and also, it's a country with a responsible government, efficient and corruption-free bureaucratic system, and most importantly, a stable and safe living environment. Um, you know, not only living environment, but also for um, investors. By saying this, I mean, um, they have a strong initiative and agenda for their own fast development. And China, for them, is a reliable partner for them to fulfill their vision you know, from basic infrastructure projects to cutting-edge technologies, you know, even like drones, they have this kind of collaboration. So the coordination and collaboration is so smooth between them. And for Nigeria, well, I have to say it's wonderful. The Chinese engagement in that country is as diverse as Nigeria itself, you know, from governmental projects to um, private, countless private investments, you know, from infrastructure projects to manufacturing to even internet technologies companies. You can see Chinese investments in almost all areas in Nigeria, given the size of Nigeria's market and population. So clearly Chinese investment is playing an explicit and positive role to enhance both countries' development so they could be directly felt um, and seen by those population by those young people, I think that's why they have the strongest sentiments towards China and these two countries. Well, I, I'm not familiar with Malawi, so I'm just going to stop here. Right. And uh, uh, Tom or, or Mubarak, who, whom of you know something about um, Malawi? I, I will agree with him because 
Malawi also has some very characteristics of what happens in Rwanda. Malawi's population is one of the youngest population in Africa. I think it comes after Uganda, Niger, Mali, and either Angola or Zambia. And also the youth, the young people, and 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 they are they are quite investments in Af you know in Zambia. And for sure, I have interacted so much with many friends from Malawi. And you know, besides the stories of you know from the Western countries that actually have been smearing investments of China in Zambia, some Malawians feel that actually what should what is happening in Zambia, or the infrastructure projects that are put in place in Zambia, should also be in their country, and because they feel like Zambia is so much, you know, China pays much attention to Zambia than actually themselves. And I think they see this kind of, because Zambia is just uh, close to them. And also another feature is that most of, you know, these three countries are also English speaking countries. It also speaks volumes to what exactly the sentiments may not be as the same with the French speaking countries. This is what I also read in there. But the most interesting part is that these countries are from three different parts of, of the continent. It actually speaks volume that actually the entire continent might have a much more positive sentiment about Chinese influence. And you know, you have Nigeria in West Africa, you have Rwanda in East Africa, and also Malawi in the southern part of Africa. It, it quite uh, speaks volume that at least each region, there is a positive influence of Chinese investments and also engagement. And I, I do really hope that um, I can go to Africa someday to see it for myself. And um, Tom, so in general, what role, from your perspective, what role do you think China's playing in Africa right now? Investor, remediator, or, you know, peacekeeper? What would you say? Yeah, I sort of see the Chinese as business partners, and that's where they are most effective. It sort of like reminds me, I had just recently worked on some uh, research on the summit of the Americas, uh, Biden Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles. And a lot of the countries from Latin America were complaining because there was politicization of, whereas they were looking more for U.S. investments and more about trade. So China understands that. And I think it's the same with Africa. They want to really boost their economies. They want to start being able to compete with the rest of the world in Europe and in North America and anywhere else. And in order for them to really better compete economically against the major powers, they have to have stronger economies. They need better infrastructure. They need uh, just really improve their economy so that people are more wealthy there and you have a strong middle class. So China is playing a major role in that with the infrastructure building and as an investor. It's not always perfect. Obviously, there have been some Chinese companies who have made questionable deals and actions, but uh, we don't live in a perfect world, so it just happens. But at least the Chinese are making efforts to help the Africans build their communities to move forward on industrialization and on urbanization, as well as modernization. Because if they really want to succeed, they have to succeed with all three stages of those economic drives. It really is just a simple case of economics. So I believe, and I sort of see China's role as a business partner, and I think that is what they are best at. And they're also very good at building 
but that's also part of the investments. Because of that, when the Chinese are very pragmatic, they are very uh, pragmatic and open-minded. They are good at making business deals because they're able to compromise. They're able to negotiate. And from that being said, this is what's really helping Africa. The Western side right now has gotten stubborn and focuses too much on this concept of we win, you lose. And this is just not the right way to do business. Mm. And you just mentioned that it's not a perfect world. And then what's your evaluation of this narrative of uh, China creating some dead trap on the continent? Yeah, I mean, well, there is there is an argument to be said on that. And I think if China just basically goes in denial, that argument's not going to work. And, you know, nobody's perfect. So things happen. But what I think what can be argued, as I said before, is at least China is putting the money into Africa, whereas the other countries are only talking about how they're going to help Africa, but it's always delivered in aid packages. But what happens is when you treat people like charity cases, you are treating them like children. And when you treat them like children, then that is uh, uh, showing no respect for the people you are delivering aid to. Whereas in China, they're trying to create the business deals. But of course, when you do business deals, you're going to have occasions when you have some greedy uh, people involved. That is just human nature. But uh, I do see Af uh, Chinese trying to make some efforts and in, in investing into Africa, and they're doing it more than any anywhere else. And um, Barak, how is this narrative of China um, creating debt trap being received in in Africa right now? I understand it's been there for think, for, uh, for a few decades already. Yeah, I think I think this 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 was for for uh, it has happened for some time, and I think uh, you, we should also understand that the BBC is one of the proponents of this kind of narrative. And having the biggest influence as the first, you know, the, the biggest international media influencing, you know, in Africa carries a lot of this kind of narrative. But it, I, I think it is deliberate to smear China because I think nothing has happened in place. In my country, Uganda, in the recent months before the last FOCAC, there was uh, a baseless article, you know, talking about uh, that the Chinese were about to take over our international airport. And it came out to be false because this is, uh, uh, you know, the country, the government received a loan from the Chinese, uh, you know, Exim Bank of China. And because of that, it has attracted much more of uh, this kind of baseless uh, rhetoric of course as tom said true there are some kind of uh there are some chinese companies that of course have been reported to have been in in some uh, uh dubious deals this happens because remember apparently i think from last year is over 35 chinese government and private enterprises are operating in africa certainly you cannot have such a kind of uh such kind of many companies without having issues here and there. But of course, what we have to ask, how much is that as compared to uh, what exactly is taking place? We are forgetting the opportunities that are created. Obviously, you cannot have such many companies without having such questions. It has never happened. We have seen many European com companies having involved themselves in dubious deals. They are kind of characters. We have seen many American companies 
engaging themselves in dubious deals. This happens, but what we have to focus so much on is at what percentage does this happen? And, you know, what exactly is the impact? There is no airport that has been taken over. There is no single infrastructure project that has been taken over from Africa. This rhetoric has been around and it is still how it's just a suspicion that we are yet to see. We are yet to see any company or any rather any infrastructure project that has been taken over by Chinese. It actually remains baseless, certainly. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. And uh, Lin Xing, during your days um, in Africa, did you have to confront such um, questions? How did you respond to such um, narrative? Well, actually, you know, um, towards this kind of debt trap narrative, um, from my personal experience, it's quite popular on the social media in Africa. That's why I felt so surprised when I saw this kind of you know, survey results, as I mentioned. You know, actually, many many standard international procedures were distorted and misread by those media. Um, probably, um, if we have a chance, we can take a look at the Johns Hopkins University's reports. You know, there are so many reports available, actually, elaborated them, um, various, ca- various cases and projects um, across the world done by Chinese, including the Sri Lanka port and Kenya ports cases, uh, railway cases. You know, the concerns from African side... I mean, definitely matter given the passive role and the past relationship for African countries. But it's vital to differentiate inequality or imperialistic behaviors from complex business deals, which totally abide by regular commercial principles. So, um, can I just go back a little bit to Tom's comment? Because I really appreciate Tom's um, comment, and I like to add something mm. uh, from my so-called academic, you know, academic perspective. Sure. Can I? Go ahead, please. So, yeah, just Tom, Tom just mentioned something very important. It kind of illustrates, you know, the different mentality and approaches towards Africa by China and America. You know, you cannot say that American people is treating Africa badly on purpose. Well, it's just because of their, based on their different, you know, um, way of seeing Africa, uh, like uh the biggest asset of Chinese investment or China in Africa is actually to treat Africa like a partner. I repeatedly said this. Well, every I think our discussion could come down to an, a, a, a long kind of classical academic discussion on Africa called the decolonization of African studies, meaning Africa should produce some knowledge and theories based on their own social historical background rather than the monopoly of Western knowledge, you know, which can only explain the situations in the West. So again, this kind of knowledge production monopoly influences almost every aspect of Western engagement in Africa, reflecting a superiority over the continent. But for China, you know, who once was a victim of this kind of monopoly too, so it's essential for them to not intervene in other countries' development. You know, there is an old saying, there is an old saying in China saying that um, means you cannot cut your feet to fit your shoes. Mm. Well, so now, many years ago, there are some people advocating China model to Africa, which I'm really against. 
And now, at least in China, no one is actually talking about this because, you know, if there is really something that China could teach Africa, that is to walk your own way and try to find a mode that is suitable for yourself rather than duplicating others' modes. So I really appreciate, you know, Tom raised this issue. Can I come in? I, I think, sure, sure. I think I appreciate actually the input in that. If one argue that a China model shouldn't be duplicated in Africa, I think I agree. Africa has its taste. Africa has its own way of wanting to take its own political and social path as opposed to others. But also I wouldn't find it any problem for any country, for example, in Africa, wanting to have a similar model. If for instance, they think that actually this model works for them. I think they should, Africa should have, you know, that freedom of choosing where they want, because for sure there are so many African countries that have chosen to have a, a, a similar political system like that one of the U.S. And actually the West doesn't find any problem with that. But if any country, for example, choose to have a Chinese model, then it becomes a problem. I think we should be fair. And, and, and this is what the Western world has to be fair with Africa. Africa, the same way many countries would choose to have a Western style of political setup and economic setup, is the same way that any other African country will have to you know, take a decision of whether to actually adopt a Chinese model or a Russian model or any other kind of model. Indeed. Yes, freedom to choose and freedom to try. Great point. Right. Um, all of you have just mentioned uh, what good deeds Chinese companies have done uh, in, in Africa. Obviously, there are some problems, there are some issues. Though I think Mubarak said it's not the majority or the mainstream with uh, Chinese companies. Some small issues could be utilized or picked up by some Western media and amplified to, to tarnish the whole image of China. So that's not obviously not what China wants. So probably, Lenxing, you could give us some example or some specific cases where China or Chinese companies or even individuals need to improve when they, you know, run business or, or live or work in, in Africa? Well, absolutely. I think there are so many cases and evidences that I could present here that they should improve their behavior, um, you know, in Africa. I mean, no need to give a list. But um, this is where, you know, the local media should play a role to improve or to kind of, you know, enhance the bilateral relationship in the future. Because, you know, it has to be noted, it has to be noted this kind of misbehavior from China is some, um, for me, inevitable cost that Chinese companies should pay on the road to be a real international co corporation. Because, you know, don't forget, Chinese companies is also newcomer, is also a newcomer in international markets. So they are still learning the rules, the cultures, and everything in the new market. So it depends on how you perceive and tackle those problems in a very constructive way. Well, you know, now some problems are actually depicted or kind of reported by Western media with certain purposes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is a little bit dangerous for me and worrisome for me because, you know, media is supposed to be a safeguard of public interests domestically, but international media is not. They are promoters of the home country's interests and agendas. So it's vital for African people to receive information from a more diverse set of channels rather than heavily relying on one 
or two from the West. Yeah, well, it's not f- so fair to 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 call them uh, international media. It's just uh, mainly from the West. And Barak, your your take here? I, I think certainly it it would be so much unfair not only to China but even to the US. Obviously, whatever kind of engagement would certainly have some kind of shortcomings. Would have some you know bad elements. They are quite bad elements in in many of Western companies. Recently in Uganda, there has been a, a company, an Italian company, that actually has been engaged into dubious deal, and it has been and it, and the parliament in the last. Uh, one month actually, uh, you know, halted that 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 deal. You know that the company, the Italian company, was engaged into a dubious coffee deal in Uganda, and it was actually uh, you know you know put to hold, halted by parliament, by the national parliament. So it, it's it's not you know specific for America or for China. Wherever there is that kind of engagement, there is always a room to improve, especially for. The African countries also have a role in trying to understand the partners that they are working with, but also the Chinese companies and the Chinese players also have to understand that actually Africa also has values and traditions that actually has to be respected. And this exactly is what should be done to even for the Americans and for the Europeans. But one thing I want to mention here is that it is very important. For African young people, and this is what I think the African young people are now trying to appreciate. That's what actually this kind of uh, survey came out the way it came out. They have tried now to understand that actually that anything that the Chinese are doing in Africa will have to receive negative publicity from the Western media, and they have actually tried to access that. Very few, you know. Uh, Western mainstream media have come out to appreciate, you know, the engagements and 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 you know, uh, you know, success that have been registered in Africa through Chinese companies and private enterprises. But actually, these things are on the ground. I think the more African countries appreciate that fact, is also, uh, you know, you know, that's why that's what actually is. We are seeing now that the survey is coming out uh, that, but also the African media also have a role on how to come up and see how we can as well, you know, try to to counter this kind of narrative because they do not only affect China, who is actually the biggest competitor from the Western perspective, but also it is affecting our stability, our envir- our working environment, and also uh, the road to success from the African countries. Yeah, I, I know. Well, I totally agree with Barack. Uh, because, you, uh, you know, this kind of you know, negative stories only report style for Western countries. It's actually, it's not only worrisome, not only for China, but also more terribly for Africans, because, you know, media has become a weapon to you know, to counter big powers' influences in Af- in Africa. So African countries become agent again. As I mentioned, you know, Western media have their agenda, but are dominant in Africa. So Africa is actually lacking of channels to understand a fuller picture of the world. Well, Mubarak may know that, you know, there are few African journalists based in China to report China in their own eyes. So it could be dangerous to be easily controlled by biased and single-sided reports from the West, you know, in Africa. So um, in terms of this kind of, you know, future trust, I believe, you know, we have, you know, what have been done and felt in Africa is more significant than what have been reported, though sometimes 
you know, those reports do start turbulences. Mm, um, I understand each party has its own bit to do. But in terms of China, what can uh, Chinese companies or Chinese people working there um, improve? You know, I understand um, there's this concern over Chinese companies' profit and reinvestment there is not sufficient. Um, Mubarak, would you agree or what's your take? I think this is something that is so much uh, has been highlighted uh, in so many of, of the reports that we're seeing. But I think it is also subjective to specific countries because, you know, there has been effort of making sure that uh, we're improving the African agency and, and trying to see Africa, you know, engaging with China as a whole, as opposed to China engaging Africa using specific and, and individual countries. I think this narrative also varies from country to country because also what we should understand is that wherever, you know, sometimes some, you know, the profits might be taken away in some instances, but actually it might also kind of affect in the wrong run the country, but the country may also be looking at some short-term goals because remember some countries are not at the same level of economic growth. So, Sometimes a country may negotiate based on what it wants exactly at that particular moment, and you can't blame them for actually allowing such a kind of a business to take place. But I think it is subjective depending on which country is handling what and what type of business, because sometimes you may, you may find that some countries may not allow the Chinese companies to fully, for example, uh, uh, invest in particular industries while others can as well allow them to invest in those in those industries so it varies from country to country what is most important is looking at what the country benefits the country may not benefit from the profits but actually may benefit from the skills that are transferred by those Chinese companies. And also what we should be fair of is these Chinese companies are not charities. They are also doing business, just like other countries, they are competing with other countries. So certainly you will find that uh, there is a paper I was reading talking about uh, brokers, patrons, local patrons, and, and, you know, they are getting out to do business, just like Western companies are going to do business. So I think it is fair also to understand that these practices, sometimes uh, companies may not engage into, uh, you know, the, the, the acceptable business and economic practices, but also we should understand they're also facing a kind of a competition, which actually also the other companies they are competing with are doing the same. So I think we should be fair and also understand that this also varies from country to country. Mm, talking about business, um, Tom, what's your suggestion there? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, the fact is, is my good friend Mubarak, is the fact is, is Chinese companies are doing business. They're not doing charity. So obviously, if they generate profits, they're going to want some of those profits and they're going to want to bring it back to China. That is an obvious, logical conclusion for people to make. But uh, I like your prior question earlier. What are the biggest problems that the Chinese companies are facing? I think part of the biggest problem, and I've had these discussions with some people who are working with uh, Chinese investors in the emerging markets. And one of the things I kept talking to them about was that they need to improve their messaging, their public relations uh, the fact is, is that you have to explain yourself to the local communities you're investing. You have to show them that what you're doing is going to benefit not only the Chinese, 
but also the local communities because they're going to be getting jobs. They're going to get some uh, cash revenues, and this also generates tax re revenues for those local governments. So the problem is, is I think what I see is many Chinese that I have talked to that were business related were just too scared to talk uh, and communicate because they feared if they said the wrong thing, it might be misunderstood. But uh, my argument instead was, even if you make a mistake, at law, as long as you make sincere efforts to improve relations, the other side is going to see that and they're going to respect you for it. So I would say, in conclusion to your uh, prior question, is that basically I would like to see Chinese companies who are doing business in Africa just do better at talking to the local communities. Send people there who, uh, for example, like what I see with the Japanese, when they invest in America, they don't just buy a f and open up a factory, but they basically uh, befriend the people in the town who are uh, where the factory is. And I think maybe the Chinese should follow a similar model that many Japanese corporations are doing, which is you just don't invest into a place, but you also uh, devote major efforts at making friends with the people who uh, of the local communities that you're investing into. So I would like to see uh, companies just put more effort into that. And uh, I've been doing what I could to try to convince companies to do more of that. And they have, they're very open-minded to it. They just need some help because um, this is a new thing for them. Mm, they just yeah. thought if they invest, it's good enough. Yeah. Indeed, be more outspoken and tell people what you've done there and stop um, um, like rumors or, or bias. or Because we understand that an upright man is not afraid of gossip, but gossip can be destructive. And with that, um, we come to the end of this episode of Chat Lounge. Many thanks to Mubarak Mugabo, Beijing-based Ugandan journalist and fellow of the China Africa Press Center. Li Lenxing, former Africa correspondent of a leading English newspaper in China, author and commentator Thomas Paugen II, for sharing your insights with us. You can leave a review for us either on the topic or on the show. Please subscribe to The Chat Lounge for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Tuyun. Thank you for listening. See you next week. Dunhuang, situated along the ancient Silk Road, where fine arts and divine beliefs merged with the natural world. It's where the East and West interacted, and where the world's largest Buddhist art gallery still fascinates and amazes people today. A place where stories of life and death, love and hatred, passion and desire, faith and sacrifice have been generated and told for 2,000 years. Buckle up for our new podcast, Why We Love Dunhuang, the one and only podcast that can take you to the fantasy world of Dunhuang and beyond through our audio tour. Listen and subscribe for free on major podcast platforms. Why We Love Dunhuang? You will have your answers.